We find ourselves in the book of James, chapter 1, and we return to this uh, passage. We are still in chapter 1 for some unknown reason. It's going really slowly. But we are at verse 12 this morning, which opens and concludes um, the, the previous section. It opens a new subcategory, uh, which deals with uh, the future of the believer and also trials and temptation. And I will look at that in a moment's time. So we, before we get to the text, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to you for your kind and gracious love toward us. We thank you for your fatherly nature and the grace you have granted to all. You have, uh, in Scripture, is, you are identified as a father, and we as men can only learn from that. Father, we pray that if there's any father present who does not know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that you would open his heart this morning. If there are wives here that do not have saved uh, um, husbands who are fathers, we pray that you would reach them uh, through the testimony of their wives. We pray, Lord, that you would open our minds to your word. We thank you for the freedom to meet. We pray that you would grant us the boldness and the character and the integrity to remain devoted to you. Uh, we pray now, Lord, as we look into your word, that you would prepare our hearts. Pray for clarity of thought. We pray that we would respond in a way that honors you. And we pray that you would set aside everything that distracts us and anything that could distract us. Pray that you would be magnified even in the preaching of your word. We give thanks to you now and we pray that you would magnify yourself for Christ's sake. Amen. What does it mean to be blessed? That is the subtitle of the sermon that I'm going to deal with this morning. We are looking at the future of the steadfast man, and the subcategory is blessedness. So God has ordained us to be blessed, and we are blessed in Him. And so I'm going to take some time to just pause on that aspect of blessedness this morning, and then we will get back, not next week, but the, the following week, and we will look at the future of um, this reward that God gives to his people. Today we may have different ideas of what it means to be blessed. When I was on social media, I saw quite often hashtag blessed. And it was generally in relation to things that happen. I got this job, hashtag blessed. I'm in a relationship now, hashtag blessed. I caught this cool car. I'm not going to name it. Hashtag <laughs> blessed. It seems that we generally identify blessedness with things that happen to us, with things that we receive. Usually, Christians and I suppose unbelievers as well, think that blessedness relates to what we possess. Some say it's the abundance of things. 
It is sometimes said that we can enjoy blessedness when God gives us abundantly, as if you are not blessed when God does not give abundantly. However, blessedness, or to be blessed in the Bible and from a biblical perspective, has to do not only with what God has given us, but what God has made us. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 to 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Did you know that little state of verb are in these verses? It's because it is a reality. It's what God has made the believer. The rewards and the blessings which come after that is not the blessedness. What you are in Christ is the blessedness. These are the quintessential characteristics of the children of God. This is not, Jesus is not describing how you become a child of God, but what the reality of the child of God is. He is blessed. These describe what God's people are. You may be saying, well, I don't see how that can be definitive of what blessed means, because you don't know my life. You don't know how hard I have it. This is exactly the contrasting point that James is making. The blessed is not the person who has wealth. The blessed person is not the one who is unstable or uh, or movable or double-minded. The blessed one is not so much the person who has possessions, but the one who is found in Christ. The one who is at a certain stage in his life or um, has received a certain blessing from God. This morning we will see in our passage how James defines the blessed believer. Now there are three parts to it. We are only going to deal with two and then come back and deal with the last one uh, in uh, two weeks time. The blessed believer, number one, is the one who remains steadfast through the duration of trials. So the substantive argument is that he is, the blessed one is the one who remains steadfast. And I want to qualify that. The one who is steadfast is the one who remains the entire duration of the trials. Number two, the blessed believer is the one who stands. And I want to qualify that after being tried and tested. So the blessed believer is number one, He's a steadfast person. And number two, he's the one who remains standing after being tested. Number three, the blessed believer is the one who will receive a reward. I initially had this Latin term, so salacious, (laughs) Um, 
which means recompense or reward. But since we do not speak Latin, I just change it to the English word reward. I wanted to keep three S's and yeah, it didn't work out. I had to go outside the realm of English to get that third S and no, we, we will not do that. So thus far in this context, we have seen that the lowly brother is the exalted one in verse 9. The lowly, let the lowly boast in his exaltation. We call this the reality of the lowly. This is the already existent certainty that he is lifted up. But there's a future element that remains unfulfilled. While he is lifted up, he's still low on earth. So there's a future aspect which is still to be fulfilled. Secondly, we saw in verse 10 and 11 the reality of the rich. Notice in verse 10 he says, And the rich in his humiliation. So the rich man boasts in the reality that he is humiliated. If the lowly is is exalted now, then the rich are humiliated when? Now too. So you can't go from that to say, oh no, it will be future. Um, that, you know, he's, he's, he's lowly now, but then future will be exalted. It's a reality which is consistent now and both in the future. So if he's humiliated now, he will also be humiliated in the future. Which means that this cannot be a brother. Uh, Robert mentioned to me on Wednesday that uh, the word uh, commentary actually says what I've been saying. And like I said, I'm not the only one who, who says that. Um, and when I, I think it's uh, Martin, right? Ralph Martin, who, who, um, who writes that commentary. And it's pretty interesting. <laughs> his argumentation is similar to mine. And, and I agree with his uh, conclusion that this is definitely not a rich believer. <clears throat> Last week, we saw the third element in the section, which speaks about the future of the rich in verse 11. He will pass away at the end, verse 10, and the end here of verse 11. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. This has to do with the judgment that is brought upon him. He will no longer be uh, available. He will fade away. He will come to nothing because he is in the midst of his pursuit, his joy, his life, which is his riches. So God brings judgment on him and treats him as grass or the flower of the grass. I mentioned that this person is not a rich believer, but I also mentioned that this is not all rich that he's speaking about. James has a very specific rich person in mind here. It is this rich person who oppresses God's people in this context. If you take note in chapter 2, he speaks about the rich man in verse 2 who comes into the synagogue. And then in verse 5, he says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith, contrasting between those who are brought low and those who are exalted, and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you? Are they not the ones who oppress you? And drag you into the court. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? Clearly a distinction between those who are ungodly rich and those who are Christians. 
Now, not all rich are ungodly because there are Christians who are rich. And James does not deal with them. Paul does. But James deals with the rich who are ungodly, who oppress God's people, who blaspheme the name of the Lord. And he says they will come to judgment. They, if they do not repent, will ultimately fade away like the flower of the grass. It is important to see that connection that James does. You or the brother or or, um, the lowly versus them. They are not you, and you are not them. Later on in chapter 5, he calls the rich to repentance. But for the most part in this book, James addresses God's people, the lowly, the saints who are suffering. And he says to them that you are to count it all joy. You, if you lack wisdom, ought to ask of God without faith. And you, the lowly brother, are to boast in your exaltation. And now in verse 12, he describes the person he has been speaking about all along. So verse 12 is connected to the previous 11 verses. He describes what a believer, uh, what will happen to the believer who remains steadfast. Understand the contrast here. He just spoke about the man who's tossed to and fro, the double-minded, unbelieving sinner, the, the rich man who puts his hope and life upon his riches, who pursues that. And now he says, this is who the blessed man is. This is who the one is that has eternal riches and reward with God. You can see these interactions that James does in this first section pretty clearly because he speaks about this man versus the rich man. This one versus that one. That is a synopsis of this passage. But this morning what I'm going to address is just this idea of blessedness in the beginning of verse 12. So this is going to be unlike my previous sermons, which was very focused on the text, each word in the text. And now I'm just going to look at one word and then expand it out to see how James deals with that idea and uh, in, the, in the context of Scripture. So let's give attention to, number one, the blessed believer is the one who is steadfast through the duration of, of his trials. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. And you would say, well, your point sounds exactly as what James is saying. Well, yes, um, one of my uh, teachers in preaching said, it is always neat when your points coincide with what the author says, because then you're saying what he's saying. And that's the goal. I'm saying it the way that he's saying it because I want you to get his point. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. What a tremendous verse. The very first element that we should note is the one who endures the trials is the one who is blessed. Take note of that. So in this section, we have James finishing off the idea of trials that he began in verse 2. Just look at verse 2. Count it all joys, my brothers. Joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. Go to verse 12 again. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under 
trial in um, linguistics, they would call this an inclusio. He starts with an idea and he ends with an idea. So verse 12 through to 15 is the conclusion of this section. How do I know that it's the conclusion? Well, verse 16 begins a new section. Remember what I said when we started? There are at least 15 sections that James illustrates uh, um, that he's breaking off a new subcategory. Notice how he begins verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. How does it begin in verse 2? Count it all joy, my brothers. You see that, my brothers? It's when it's coupled with a command, it's a new section. So verse 16 tells us it's a new section, and we know that uh, 12 through to 15 is an inclusio because he returns to the idea of trials. He mentions in the beginning, and then he mentions it at the end, saying, well, I am still talking about the same thing. So keep that in mind as you go to, through 12 through to 15. We are still in the context of trials. James has not left this whole idea. So we have to take verse 12 in the context of those against the backdrop of those who are double-minded in verse um, 5 and 6. Those who ask in, in doubt, those who pursue life and riches apart from God and this guy who is blessed. James here in verse 12, verse 1, uh, the first part of verse 12, is giving a statement of fact, making a claim of reality about the person who, is, who endures. Notice what he says. Blessed is the man who remains. This is the believer who does not give up. This is a believer who does not throw in the trial. When affliction and hardship come, they go through it. They move on through it. Why? Because it is the blessed man who faithfully submits himself to the will of God regardless of the trial. Secondly, it is also those who have genuine faith that has the capacity to endure. How do we know that? Because he already mentioned that. Go back to verse 2 and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness. Slightly different nuance to the word in verse 12, but it's the same idea. The ability to remain under the pressure of trials and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Who's that guy? That is the same guy here in verse 12. But what does it mean for a person to be blessed? There is a tendency to think that blessed means happy. And some translations have it that way. Happy is the man who remains steadfastness. That's actually a very weak translation of the word. Um, in one of the lexicons, it doesn't even appear. There's a very few that actually have it as a plausible option for translation. Happiness is that emotional peace and tran- tranquility when things go right. I don't think you are happy when things do not go right. Are you happy when they steal all four tires and your spare? Shantan can tell you about that. 
No, that's not happiness. You made joy in that trial, but at that moment, you are far from happiness. That's not what James is talking about. Some say, well, it is, it is to be satisfied or a sense of happiness because of the absence of pain and suffering. I read one comment on a very uh, well-researched website. This happens when you Google happiness in the Lord. Happiness is having enough to sustain you through this life and therefore equals contentment. Hmm. Having enough to make it through life because having enough is equal to contentment. Well, you need to be saved whoever wrote that. Because contentment is found in who? Christ. This, however, is not the idea. If James wanted to use the word happy, he would have used this Greek word. You know, I don't use them often, but it's not found in the Bible, so I'm going to use it. Eudaimon. What does that sound like? Diamonds. Eudaimon. That means to be inherently over joyfully happy. To have a smile on your face when you get that rock on your hand. You know, that, that uncontained... Have you seen a woman that just got engaged? How does she walk? <laughs> you know? Look at the rock. You know, there's an uncontainable joy that comes about, that, 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 that exhumes from uh, that is the idea. It's interesting that it sounds like diamond. That's why I used the illustration. You diamond. But that's not the word. It's in classic literature and older Greek, but not in the Bible. Happiness is an emotion. It fluctuates. In the midst of trial, you could not be happy, but still have joy. You could not be um, satisfied in how things are turning out, but you can still be blessed. Blessedness relates to the state of the believer, not what the believer has. This is the same word, which we have already seen, that is used by Jesus in the Beatitudes. I like reading about the etymology of words, and that's how words uh, were used prior to its use in um, the Bible, especially Greek words. <laughs> this word was uh, first used by the um, philosophers to relate to the Grecian gods. They were blessed because of it. Uh, they had the transcendent pleasure of being be beyond life's cares and worries. So they, being removed from life, were blessed. Secondly, it was then applied to those who were dead. Why? Because they didn't have the cares and worries of this world, so they were blessed. And then it was applied to those who were really, really, really rich. Because they didn't have to worry about the cares that you and I would worry about. So from an ancient point of view, you had to be a God, dead or simply stinking rich, to be blessed. I don't think anything has changed. I've heard certain circles say that we are demigods. And so we are blessed. No. It's interesting that James 
chose this word that was previously outside of biblical um, language used to relate to the rich as being separated from the cares of this world. And he says, you know who the blessed person is? Take note who the blessed guy is. It is a man who remains steadfast under a trial. He's making a statement of fact of who he is, not what he possesses. The biblical meaning is to be in a state or a privileged position of being and receiving uh, or being the recipient of divine favor. Yes, you want to speak about privilege? Here is privilege, genuine privilege. Those who have received divine approval by God. In fact, he alludes to that later on. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. This is the blessed man who has received the divine approval from God. That he is in a position or a state where God looks upon him with favor. That is the blessed man. In 1 Peter 3.14, it shows that those who suffer for the sake of righteousness, they are blessed. In 4.14 of the same book, he expresses the same reality where he says that you are blessed if you are insulted for the name of Christ. This also expressed, expresses a state in which the believer is in. John 13, Jesus uses it in verse 17 to say, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. In other words, the ones who are obedient to the Lord and does what the Lord says, they are blessed. They are already in a state of, of, the, of receiving divine favor. Because they demonstrated by their obedience. This is similar to what James is saying in the entirety of this book. The blessed man is characterized by his response. If you go through the New Testament and you list every element of the, the definition of a blessed man, you would come up with something like that is characterized by at least three things, obedience, faithfulness, and love. In Psalm 32, which is quoted in Romans uh, chapter 4, verse 7, David says, Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. He is in a relationship with God, and God looks upon him with divine favor. He has a privilege granted to him. Blessedness is both bestowed, experienced, and manifested. Don't forget that. It is bestowed by God, experienced by the believer, and manifested by the one who is blessed, which is obviously the believer. In contrast to what so many think that uh, to depart from this life or to have more than you need in this life is to be blessed. And like I said to you earlier, some charismatic circles, because we are called demigods, gods with a small g, we are therefore blessed in a sense. 
That is heresy. We are not gods. There is one God. James says that the one who is blessed is not the one who has things. It's not the one who possesses things. He puts this in contrast to the rich man who pursues, and in the midst of his, his pursuits, he passes away. So he's not blessed, but who is the blessed man? The man who remains under the finger of God in the midst of his trial. He doesn't want to get out of the trial. He doesn't want the riches. He doesn't want to be God-like. He wants to be faithful to his God in the midst of his hardship. The blessed one is the one who faithfully and willingly relinquishes his will and want to the sovereign care of God and therefore endures whatever God brings to his life. That is the blessed man. Today we want what others have because they are blessed with wealth and we are not. James does not say that you will be blessed because you have or you've been given. He says, no, you are blessed when you demonstrate your, your condition or your position and that privilege that you have before God in the way that you respond to what God is doing in your life. Unlike the, the rich man who, who wants to, um, to pay his way out of things, who can endure the hardships of life because he's got a fallback, who continues to pursue his, uh, pursue his riches, unlike him, you endure. Unlike the double-minded man in verse 6, who wavers and wanders, the blessed man remains immovable. That is the blessed man. See, happiness is based on circumstances. But as quickly as the circumstances changes, so too does the happiness. But the blessed is, but being blessed is, is to be in a reality where the believer is pronounced blessed by God. Listen to the words of Jesus. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Take note of this. You are blessed because you have the riches of the kingdom. Let's pause there for a moment. Listen. You can run after the kingdom of this world through wokery and social uh, justice. You, you can go after the riches and the kingdom of this world. But Jesus says, that your blessedness is linked to the kingdom. Blessed are those who are persecuted now for the sake of righteousness. That is God's people, those who are saved. Blessed are you. Why? Because your riches and your reward is in the what? Kingdom. See, it is Christ who rewards in the kingdom. Don't tell me that eschatology does not matter. It is Christ's kingdom where he provides the blessing to those who are his. 
What we are seeing today is it's, it's this wokeness and the social gospel who wants to snatch away the kingdom of Christ and give people this earthly kingdom right now. That is not submission to Christ's kingdom, but a subversion of Christ's future reign and kingdom. Blessed are those, for theirs is, it's a, re- a reality and a future gain that is still to come. See, blessedness is not the absence of pain and suffering. It is not the removal of difficulty or the, the lifting up of trouble. Blessedness is receiving, take note of this, the gift of trials from the hand of God as we would readily and faithfully receive the gift of good gifts from the hand of God. The same way we receive from God the riches He gives, so too we should receive from God the trials that He gives. James uses this Rich words in similitude to how Jesus uses it to demonstrate what a believer is and to express that it is a state which is bestowed upon a believer despite the circumstances he is in. This is the one who has received divine approval by God. Notice in the middle of the verse, he says, For when he has stood the test, then, you could add, he will receive the crown of life. The believer is the one who comes through God's classroom of testing. He's able to make it through. Why? Because he can endure. He has the capacity to endure. Now think about this. The blessed one is the one whose faith is quenched in the fiery furnaces of trials. Which means that affliction, hardship, and trials do not just happen. They are sent by an infinitely wise and loving father who shows the quality of the faith he has given to the believer. And he puts it on display how? Through trials. God demonstrates what he has given to the believer in his faith, not God's faith, the believer's faith, by placing them in hardship. I want you to get this. God tests the faith of the believer. God puts it on display through trials. Why? Is it so that God could figure out if you're a believer or not? Maybe God doesn't know You are genuine, and so he puts you in the midst of trials. Is that what it's saying? Not at all. Why does God put a believer through trials? Well, you have to go back to verse 2 and through to 4, right? Where he says the end result is what? Maturity, completeness. What does that mean? When the faith is tested and the one who is tested endures the trial, comes out of the trial, he is, he is put on display by God to say, look at the faith that I've given you. This is not a double-minded faith. This is not a faith that is weak. This is not a faith that fails. This is a lasting, enduring faith. Why does it endure? Because I gave it to you. 
This is why God tests the faith of the believer. Not to show to himself that you are true, but to show to, God, to God's people and yourself that the faith that you have is true. Let me put it this way. God tests the faith to remove those who are not true and to display to those who are true that they have genuine faith. Remember the soils? Maybe you should go there. Go to Matthew chapter 13. I really don't have time to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to go to the explanation of the soils. Um... In verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, 18. When one hears the word and of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. Uh, snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. Notice, the soil is the heart. As for, the, as for what is sown on a rocky ground, this is the one, the person, who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately, take note of this last word, what does it say? He falls Away. Do you know that that's the same word that James uses of the one who comes to nothing? He falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. Wow. As for the one which was sown on good soil. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. Why the word understand? I'll answer that in a moment's time. He indeed bears fruit and, he, and, fruit and heals in one case, a hundredfold in another, 60, and another, 30. Jesus is saying that there will be various different kinds of fruits demonstrated, but the soil is fertile. Now, why understanding? Well, you have to go to verse 10 through to verse 17. Jesus goes from speaking plainly to people, and then he changes to speaking in parables. Why? So that they do not understand. Notice what he says, verse 10. Then the disciples came to him and said to him, sorry, then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he said, to you has been given, to, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them 
in parables because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So the person who understands has been given the capacity to understand. That is why I'm speaking to them in parables so that they would never understand. Jesus turns on them by speaking in a way that they would never come to understand who he truly is. But you, I speak to you in parables, because he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. The testing of the soils, the testing of the heart, the testing of the faith is not for God to figure out, but to demonstrate that the one who removes himself during the midst of trials has not been true. He is not genuine. But the one who remains steadfast, the one who endures, who comes out the other end, end is the one who is the blessed believer. God intends that our faith should be tried by the fires of affliction because through it, we are refined by it or removed by it. You are either refined by trials or removed by trials. That is what Jesus is saying in the parables of the soils. Listen, Wokery wants us to believe that the blessedness of this life is what we should have. Yes, Go ahead. If you want that, pursue it. But that's not the life that God wants for you in Christ. Maybe it's a lifetime of poverty and hardship and affliction. And you may even die in that, but you are still blessed in Christ. James, on the other hand, says, Receive from God's hand these very trials that demonstrate the quality of your faith. As readily as you would receive from God's hand the riches that he also gives. Why do I say that? Well, if you just look down a little further, look at verse 17. Subcategory B. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That's the hinge verse. This is why we know that God gives good gifts. Because by his very nature, he is good. Your trials are good because God, being good, gives good gifts. That is the first part of my sermon. I didn't even get to point two. I don't think I'm going to have time to, to adequately deal with that. I don't want to go over uh, too long. So I'm going to end it over here. Why are your trials good? Because God sees the end. God knows the out- outcome. He knows that the faith that he has given to his children, those who are genuinely his, they will endure. They come through it. They will stand the test. They will be demonstrated as being truly blessed. God knows the end. He knows the outcome. They are saved. They are the ones who endure. They persevere. And they will have a reward in a day to come. The blessedness that James speaks about here is not the one who has everything he needs for this life. 
but the one who is in a state of divine approval. He, he stands and remains in a state where God looks upon him with divine favor. That is what it means to be blessed. I pray that despite the white noise of the social justice and the wokeness of this day, I pray that your eyes and your minds and your hearts will be focused on Christ. I know I mention it almost every week. It is such a growing um, lie that is, is infiltrating the, the church of Jesus Christ. It's an absolute necessity to see it through the eyes of God. Uh, there are so many churches, just read this week, how the uh, Southern Gospel, uh, su- Southern, uh, Southern Baptist uh, Convention and, and churches are bowing to wokery and social justice. Uh, people apologizing for the privilege that they've always had, uh, apparently, and, uh, and, 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 and seeking forgiveness for the, the mere fact that they are Caucasian. The original sin for social justice and wokeness is being white. Think about that. The great offense, the great guilt, is how you were made by God. That is a sin. Nothing else matters besides how you see a certain group of people. That is a sin. God does not ask us to look at life through that lens. He wants you to see your own faith and yourself in the light of how he made you stand in Christ. In fact, the way that James words this, the blessed man is the one who, who will eventually receive the crown of life, is to contrast the man who now has his rewards in this life. He says, that is not you. You may never come to riches in this life, but you are blessed because your reward is with God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kind grace upon our lives. For some of us, this life will be an endless cycle of pain, suffering, affliction, and poverty. Yet we thank you. For some of us, you may lift the burden of trials and affliction and give us a a momentary period of uh, relief. And we thank you for that. And for some of us, we will never see the latter end of riches. We thank you for that. Lord, you have not designed it this way that you would have all your people enjoy all the riches of this world in this time. But there is a time coming where you will be exalted and we will reign with you. And not with these earthly riches. Father, we pray that you would just wake up your church to the lies of the social justice movement and to the wokeness that has wake us up from this death of wokeness, Lord. We pray that you would just help us uh, to see things through Scripture. Help us to see things through your eyes and not through the eyes of society. Pray for faithfulness. Pray for commitment. Pray for devotion for your people. Pray that those who are going through hardship and are finding themselves tempted to depart from the faith, Lord, would you reveal to them the quality of the faith 
that they have. May they, may, maybe they are not truly really saved, and we pray that you would save them. Maybe they are saved and are struggling with this period of history. We pray that you would confirm them through the affliction that they are going through in the faith. Mature them in it, Lord. Grant them the wisdom that they need to know how to respond. Grant them the comfort and the peace and the confidence that they need through their trials. We thank you for every hardship that you give, and we pray that we would respond in a way that would honor you. For your glory's sake, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.